have no hands but yours to tend my sheep No handkerchief but yours to dry the eyes of those who weep I have no arms but yours with which to hold The ones grown weary from the struggle And weak from growing Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service. Above all, I'll seek out light, love, and helping hands being shared between our many neighbors on this planet, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. I have no way to open people's eyes Except that you will show them how to trust the inner Today on Spirit in Action, we'll be talking with folks about the HOPE Fund. The HOPE Fund is an effort to connect disadvantaged, hard-working students from Palestinian refugee camps with full four-year scholarships in U.S. colleges. The founder, Fahim Kubain, was born in Palestine and attended secondary school at the Ramallah Friend School, a Quaker school of the region that brings together Christians and Muslims in a search for peace, compassion, and academic excellence. Fahim, crippled by childhood polio, found himself thriving in the loving academic community, eventually locating in the U.S. with a Ph.D. in international relations. He's written a number of books, articles, and studies on the Middle East. Now 82, he continues working energetically for the Middle East with his attention focused on the Hope Fund, an organization that he founded back in 2000. His hope is to foster peace and especially hope for the Palestinians by giving them a way out of the desperate conditions they find themselves in and by exposing them to caring people outside the Middle East. Fahim is assisted in this work by his wife, Nancy Kubain, who also has a master's in Middle East studies and a driving concern for the people of the Middle East. Both Fahim and Nancy have spent many decades working for peace and compassion in this beleaguered region, long after the age of retirement. Their work is clearly spirit in action. 
we'll also be hearing from a few of the students who've been brought over to U.S. colleges by the Hope Fund. Khaled El-Nimur, raised in Beirut, Lebanon, but officially of Nazareth due to Lebanese law, was one of the first students to earn a scholarship through the Hope Fund. Mohammed Harun is a junior at Bridgewater College and comes from the Rafah refugee camp in Gaza. Shireen Abu Kiran is a freshman at Bridgewater. She is from the Arub refugee camp in the West Bank near Bethlehem. I asked Shireen and Mohammed how the Hope Fund has changed their lives and their prospects for the future. When I lived in the camp, I had a lot of ambitions, I had a lot of hopes that I wanted really to achieve, like I wanted to be something, I achieved something in my life, but when I was living there, all of them, they were just dreams. But when I applied for the Hope Fund, you know, it's the name, it's Hope Fund, like it's Hope. When I got the scholarship, I knew that I'm going to achieve all of these ambitions, and I'm going to be the girl who my parents and other people, they want from me to be. And it it was great. It changed everything in my life. It changed my life, actually. I'm coming from a refugee camp. I've been here about two and a half years. I had very few hope to go to school, to have higher education, but thanks to Bridgewater and thanks to Fahim, I'm now able to go to Bridgewater College, have higher education, pursuing graduate school in engineering, and I'm just happy for it, and this is changed the whole of my life. Those were Shireen Abu Kiran and Mohammed Harun, two of the recipients of the Hope Fund. Now let's talk to the founder and the forces behind the Hope Fund, Fahim and Nancy Kubain. Fahim and Nancy, thank you so much for joining me today for Spirit in Action. It's our pleasure. Yeah, it's our pleasure. I got your mailing just a couple days ago about the Hope Fund, and it sounds like a very exciting and worthwhile project. Could you explain for our listeners exactly what the Hope Fund is? The Hope Fund is an organization that I founded in 2000 as a result of an article by Geraldine Brooks, who's Jewish, and she is on my board, in which she details... She used to be the correspondent of the Wall Street Journal, Middle East correspondent, and she wrote a heartbreaking story about her encounter with Palestinians, a young boy, a bunch of boys, 15-year-olds, in a refugee camp, and the first thing she did was to go and visit, and the first thing that happened to her was these kids started throwing stones at her car broke her windows and so forth, but instead of getting angry and mad, she followed one of these boys to the hovel that the parents and the family lived in. In typical Middle Eastern Arab fashion, the minute she entered the shack, she immediately became their friend, and the first thing they did is, in typical fashion, offer her coffee. Shiri tells the story of her relations with the family and the boy. They're broke, you know, they didn't have any money, but she nursed him through a local college education at the University of Bethlehem. As a result of the article, I called Geraldine, asked her what we can do with this boy to help him out. His dream is to come to the United States. He had gone to five years in Israeli jail. And she said, well, how about some cash (laughs) to help him out? Let's raise some money and bring him over. 
Well, I did send him about $400 of my own. Then I kept thinking about it, and I said, helping this boy may ease our conscience, may make us feel noble, but it doesn't really solve any problems because there are thousands of riots roaming around in the Palestinian refugee camps. So I said we should set up an institution to carry on with the work. We got organized in the Hope Fund, chartered in the state of Virginia. Our mission is to try to get scholarships for the poorest and the most vulnerable Palestinians. And that's what we did. And then by just sheer luck, I was able to bring the first two students, Khalid and Hanan, from the refugee camps in Lebanon to Rono College, which gave them full scholarship. Four-year scholarship. I started appealing to other colleges, and we now have about eight colleges, and then next year we'll even have five more. So we raised from generous, compassionate colleges, so far pretty close to $2.5 million in full four-year scholarships with virtually no expense. We developed a fantastic board of directors, that includes a president of a college, a couple of former U.S. ambassadors, the provost of Washington and Lee, and so on, all dedicated to alleviate the suffering of the Palestinians in a nonviolent way. It sounds to me like you're pretty committed to peace work, aren't you? I have spent most of my life working for global peace in various projects, even local community. We Several years back, we had a cogeneration plant that was going to set up a plant in our area and would have polluted the entire area. And I fought them, my wife and I, and others. We fought them for three years, and everybody was against us, including the city council. But uh, eventually, thank the Lord, we prevailed, and they packed up, and the company finally packed up. Is the moral of the story what Fahim wants, Fahim gets, and if you have your mind set on global peace, then they better get out of your way? I hope so. If there is a losing cause, I support it. I am like Don Quixote. I am always fighting windmills. Except that you don't fight windmills. You probably favor windmills. You fight coal generation plants. I fight coal generation plants. I am opposed to what the Israelis are doing to the Palestinians, and I join with a lot of Jewish groups and Israeli groups in the same fashion. We don't want Israelis to be hurt. I do not want Palestinians to be hurt. So the Hope Fund began basically back in 2000. How did that go? How did you get off the ground? We started out with Rono College with two students who are now had graduated, and they are in Ph.D. programs right now, Khalid in engineering, Hanan in biochemistry. And then Bridgewater College joined. Bridgewater now has three students. Then we branched out into other local colleges, like Washington and Lee has two. Next year, we're going to have Swarthmore with one student, hopefully Haverford with one. We now have Bryn Mawr with one, and these are all Quaker colleges, essentially. So let me get this straight. 
I noticed in your literature that there are eight colleges committed to providing full four-year scholarships for Palestinian students for this coming year. Of those eight, four of them are in Virginia, which I think is understandable because that's local area for you, so you had connections there. And of the others, two or three of them have Quaker connections. So what's motivating these colleges to take on this extra cost, this extra outreach to invite in Palestinian students? Because they all realize we have no political motivation. We are a group that's dedicated to the poor and to the hungry and the oppressed. It's a story that nobody can fight against. It appeals to the human spirit. It appeals to the better part of the human animal. We go to these colleges and tell them our story. Most of our students come not from the best schools in the Middle East. By definition, they go to UNRWA schools, United Nations Relief and Works Organization schools, whose entire function is to serve Palestinian students, refugee students. So our students come from poorer schools, but they are at the same time very focused. They are the cream of the cream and the crop. Not a single one of our students has failed us. They are all in every single school here. They are at the top of their classes. We select not because they are only poor, but we only select the very top boys and girls with brilliant minds, and our aim is to have these people educated in disciplines where they can easily find jobs, and then our hope is that they will raise their economic and social level themselves and then help their families raise the level of their families and hopefully again increase the intellectual capital of Palestinian society. Before they come, once they are selected, they have to sign a pledge that they will go back. Not only that they have to go back, but they have to conduct themselves at the school in such a manner that they will bring honor to their people and to their society. And then when they go back, we want them, because the people in the Middle East, particularly the Arab world today, the only side of America that they see is imperialism, they see war, violence, and so forth. By bringing them over here, we also hope as a byproduct that they will see a kinder, gentler America, that there are people who care, who are for peace, who are not anti-Arab or anti-anybody, and they do. There is a transformation period where they become in love with America, and when they go back, we hope they will become a goodwill ambassador for the United States. I wondered what this looked like from the Palestinian students' point of view. I asked Mohammed and Khaled what impressions they had had of the U.S. before coming here and how their ideas have been changed by being here. I had the impression that the U.S., it's the greatest country in the world. Everybody knows that. I knew a lot of things about it, good things and also bad things. But now I came here, I met very great people in Bridgewater. I met very good family in Richmond. I changed the way I'm thinking, the way I'm approaching things. Now I'm more open to the other side. I'm more open-minded. 
I'm looking forward for peace more and more because I so believe that the only way to achieve justice is through peace. I live not far away from the American University of Beirut, so I've had a lot of contact with a lot of Americans over there. So I kind of had, I mean, I expected what they told me, basically. So it wasn't very different from what I expected. Well, mainly I probably expected everything to look like New York City and not having like a small size city as Roanoke or Lexington is. But basically the culture was perfectly explained to me before and I've actually lived between them. I did not expect to see like any house or like a big backyard or anything or a small garden or anything. I expect like the entire thing to be just blocks and blocks of concrete. That was Khaled An-Nimr and Mohammed Harun, students from Palestinian refugee camps studying in the U.S. thanks to the help of the Hope Fund. This is Spirit in Action, and I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet. Let's return to our visit with Nancy and Fahim Kubain, the diligent workers who make the Hope Fund such a source of hope, as they talk about the why, what, and how of the Hope Fund. Most of the American colleges actively try to recruit foreign students, and they have a faculty member or somebody who takes care of foreign students in the, their school and also like the junior year abroad, you know, American students going abroad. So they are all looking really for foreign students. What we are doing is we are providing a mechanism where they can also actually get these Palestinian refugee students. It's something they probably wouldn't be able to get to very easily if they didn't have some kind of intermediary to do it. But what we have been really amazed is at what good quality these students really are. The ones that come over, they have worked hard, and they end up very good students. But also, the colleges want to have their students to become acquainted with students of this background, not only from the upper classes or whatever, but people down below struggling. So they're very happy with it. What role does the Hope Fund play in helping these students transition and to help them integrate into this very different society? Before they come... We are usually in touch with them by email or some other mechanism. We track them from the first day they get selected until about six months later when they show up. We pay their transportation from the Middle East. And then Nancy and I, wherever they land in the United States, we meet them at the airport, bring them to our home. They usually spend about a week here in our home. And then after they go to school, We keep in touch with them. They come and they spend their weekends with us quite often. Last Thanksgiving, a year ago, we had 28 people for Thanksgiving, including about 12 of our students and their guests. Fahim, is it you or is it Nancy who's doing the majority of cooking for these feasts? She's the dishwasher. I am the cook. And what do you serve them? I mean, they're coming from a very different culture. Do you have to modify the menu a lot to match their tastes? They don't eat ham and so forth. So we give them Middle Eastern food. We make them feel at home, remind them of the old country, so to speak, and they help us cook. And then it makes them feel as if they're home. We are really their parents away from home. Here's what Khaled had to say when I asked him about his continuing connections with the Hope Fund. Considering that he's been here since 2000, I was wondering if they were still supportive of him. They invite me over, over like Thanksgiving. Over, actually, they didn't invite me to come for Christmas, but I was uh, visiting my college roommate 
they still are my family in here, basically. So they give me all kind of moral support. When I was applying for graduate school, I mean, I give them a call and just discuss the whole thing with them. So they kind of help me choose things. and So they, they are still there for me, and they help me out indirectly all the time. If anything comes up that I might seem interested, they will give me a call and let me know. So they're still my family in the United States, basically. If you think of them as family, do you actually call them by family names, like aunt and uncle? I Actually, I call him Uncle Fahim. Nancy prefers me, the phrase is where to call her Nancy, but I sometimes call her Aunt Nancy or Auntie Nancy. We like to deal a lot with women's colleges because in Arab Islamic society, the men and women are separated much more and the women feel more comfortable in a women's environment. So Bryn Mawr is a natural ally? Definitely, yes. But we have other schools, Randolph-Macon Women's College. We're going to have a couple, a, one girl at Holland's College next year, another one at the Columbia College for Women in Columbia, South Carolina. But uh, we're very interested in women's colleges. Does religion affect these students much? I mean, given that they come from an area of the world where religion is such a part of the clash about what's happening between Jews and Muslims and with the Christian influence thrown in there? All our students, by sheer accidents, are all Muslims because most of the people in the refugee camps are Muslim rather than Christian. The Christians are usually financially and socially better off on the whole. And the people in the refugee camps are the salt of the earth. These people are the falahin, the peasants. The peasantry are the people who suffer. And we try to get to the peasantry. Many of the parents, they are reluctant to send their daughters. The boys, no problem. Go to it. The girls, they're hesitant. We have had two or three that we offered scholarships to, very valuable scholarships, and they turned them down because they were afraid. They regard the United States as Sodom and Gomorrah. They see our girls, you know, half undressed, and, the, you know, the idea of America is a Hollywood idea. Let me give you one particular experience. We had one girl from Gaza, and if there's a hell on earth, that's it. That's the place. Gaza is a concentration camp. People can't get in. They can't leave. They're like in a prison. I am particularly interested in Gaza because that is where the boiling anger is most, and we thought if we could siphon off this hate by bringing some of the... So we have one girl. We worked on her for six months. We got her a scholarship here, and finally her father, in essence, refused to let her go. I thought it was important to talk to the students themselves to find out how they perceived religion as affecting them, both at home and here while they're in the U.S., and how much of a role religion played in their worldview. I think that for Shireen, the impression was most fresh given that she just arrived here this past year. I think my own religion has affected me a lot, especially here. Like when I came here, the people, they asked me about my religion, and when I say I'm Muslim, they will connect that I'm a tourist or something like that. I heard that a lot from different people here. I have to explain for the people that, no, it's not like that, not all the Muslims like the same thing. It's just kind of hard. 
it affected me spiritually because sometimes I feel mad because the people, they take stereotype about my religion. And sometimes I feel happy because some people, they know exactly what is Islam, that the bad Muslim people, they do that from their own self, not because the religion says that to them. They are not part of from the religion. Also, Christianity, it affected me kind of because back home, I lived with a lot of Christians. And here also, I'm in a Christian school. I'm in Bridgewater College, and it's a Christian school. I know a lot of their traditions, a lot of their habits, what they do, like on Christmas, what they do in the church. I respect these things, and I'm really interested in that. And because of that, I'm taking a Christianity course next semester because I want to know more and more about Christianity for knowledge. Most professors, if not all, are very open-minded. They are very understanding, they, they're very helpful. Some students are not, some students will try to avoid you being a Muslim. Some did so. Virginia is considered, I think, a conservative state. I'm in Christian college and most of the people that I met here are Christian conservatives. Most of them are tolerant, actually. Most of them good people. I like them. I liked a lot of people here. I'd like to consider myself as a Muslim and I'd like to to try to prove to people that all religion, I believe, that they're tolerant, they're good, they preach people good things. And some people try to use religion to serve their own purpose, their own goals. And some people misunderstand their religions. Some people try to think of their religion as the unique truth thing, and others are not. And that's where trouble starts. That was Muhammad Harun, preceded by Shirin Abu Hiran, talking about how being Muslim has affected them. Khaled al-Nimr was affected in a different way back in Lebanon, where his family has lived after evacuating from the Nazareth region. The Christian Palestinians are already citizens in Lebanon. Just because the Lebanese constitution, they require to have a certain amount of Christians in the country. And I think at some point, they were, most of the Christians were leaving the country and they needed to get people in, and they took the refugees who are Christian to become Lebanese citizens. Of the three students I spoke with, Shireen is the one who is most definitely on fire for working for international peace and for peace in the Middle East. She is very comfortable with the idea of working together with people of other faiths, and part of this comes from some of the experience that she's had, including being part of a group called Seeking Common Ground, where she was part of one of their programs, a camp that brought together young people to face their differences, to talk about them, and to seek for solutions of the difficult situation in the Middle East. This is a Jewish, Christian, and Muslim organization, and this organization, it holds like two programs, face-to-face and building bridges for peace. And this organization, it brings some girls and boys from the Middle East, from Israel, from Palestine, and some also from the United States, from all the states. And we stay together for like a month. We talk about our history. We talk about how do we feel when we are far away from our countries. What do we think about the actions that are going on in Palestine and Israel? And then we came up with some solutions something that we think it can solve the conflict. It's really a good program 
because it just it changed you. Like the idea that I talk about the Israel when I was living in my place, they are terrorists, they are killers, we can't live with them. But when I really lived with them, I knew that they are human beings. I knew before judging the person, I have to remember that he is a human being. All of us, we have hearts, we have emotions, we have feelings. And this is what I learned from these organizations. In the hills of Ayalon, above the broken earth, two boys shout and play with a ball on a field of shrub and dirt. Divided sons of Abraham, exhausted embrace, prince of Islam, pride of Judah, know each other's face. If we met on the sands of Sinai, under a molten sky, If you held me in your sights and looked me in the eye, what would you do? If we met on the sands of Sinai under a molten sky, and if I held you in my sights and looked you in the eye, I would shoot you dead. In the hills of Ireland, once were no man's land. Shepherds chase their wandering sheep and lead them home again. My grandfather died at Dachau, never will I forget. The British set fire to my grandfather's village, left twelve miles long dead. If we met on the cliffs of Aramon, stunned by the rocket's flash, Found my heart exposed and a pistol in your grasp. What would you do if we met on the cliffs of Adamon, stunned by the rocket's flash? And if I found your heart exposed and a pistol in my grasp, I would take you prisoner, hide you away, and set you free.
That was Fred Small and his song, The Hills of Ayalon. You're listening to Spirit in Action. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and we're visiting today with Fahim and Nancy Kubain, principal advocates for the Hope Fund, an effort for peace and compassion towards students in Palestinian refugee camps, connecting them with colleges willing to provide full four-year scholarships to these students. Fahim was born in the Middle East and has a Ph.D. in international relations. His wife, Nancy, has a master's in Middle East studies. These students come from not just the occupied territories. They would be the West Bank and Gaza. They also come from the Palestinian refugees that are in the diaspora. This would be in Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. In fact, we've had quite a few students from Lebanon. This is where the UNRWA schools are. The Palestinian Authority schools are in the West Bank and Gaza. These Palestinians in the diaspora, the ones in Jordan and Syria are not too bad off. They're citizens, at least in Jordan. But the ones in Lebanon are not citizens. They aren't supposed to work. They have no citizenship. The education is much harder for them to get. They can't own land. In other words, they're in pretty bad shape. For instance, Hiba, who just came from the Bekaa Valley to WNL, she said her family has six daughters. She's got an older sister. The state will give one scholarship to the whole family. So her older sister has that. If she hadn't gotten the scholarship to Washington, D, she could not go to college. When we started, we only started out with two students. Next year, we're going to have anywhere between 13 and possibly 15 or 18. We don't know. Now the burden is getting quite heavy, and I am 82 years old. Last night, I worked from 5 o'clock in the morning till 1 in the morning, next morning. While I'm sure you'd welcome financial contributions to the Hope Fund, I understand you also would welcome more host families this year. Right. Now, this year, I sent a special appeal to the Quakers of Wisconsin. You know, I thought, these are my people. Let's see if they can help. Our mailing list every year used to be about 150. This year, for the first time ever, I think we sent out about 1,000. And today I got about (laughs) five rejections. (laughs) So anyway, uh, we need very urgently real help from somebody. Well, the thing is we are beginning to expand into other parts of the country, for instance, into um, the Philadelphia area, down into South Carolina. And what we need there are really people, either say with connections with colleges in these particular areas or the faculty or some kind of an opening where we can go into the school. And also, we do try to have somebody will be a help to the new student, particularly at the beginning of the new student coming in, a host, because they really needed that first semester. But now that we particularly are moving into other parts of the country, and we're going to be making a trip also to Michigan and Ohio, this early part of next year, is to have people there that can help us with the local schools. Now, the schools that we deal with are private schools because the public colleges and universities uh, usually have restrictions on scholarships going to foreign students. So we concentrate on the private schools. We serve a special niche that no other organization in the United States takes care of. The very poor children of Palestinian refugee camps, other organizations provide scholarships to Palestinian students, 
but the emphasis there is on Palestinian students and not on the very poor. You could be rich and get a scholarship. So, Fahim, why do you do this? I mean, certainly there are a lot of needy, even desperate people everywhere in the world. I believe that your roots in the Middle East have something to do with the passion that keeps you going with 20-hour workdays, even at the age of 82. What is the connection to the Middle East that leads you so powerfully to this work? I was born in Ajroun, which is now in Jordan. My father and family is actually from Nazareth, what used to be Palestine, and is now part of Israel. And my father migrated to east of the Jordan to Ajroun long before the First World War. But our ancestral home is in Nazareth, and my half-brother and his extended family, they still live in the same house, and they are now Israeli citizens. My older brothers and so forth went to the French school in Ramallah, the Quaker school, a school that is now about 200 years old. My two brothers went there ahead of me, and I graduated in 1942 from the French school. About four years later, I came to the United States. But I am dedicated to two things. One is I am very, very, very worried about the conflict in Palestine between the Israelis and the Palestinians and the oppression of the Palestinians by the Israelis. And I have worked for almost 30 years I write articles about the oppression of the Palestinians in the regional paper here. I work with peace groups, including Jewish groups, for a just peace. I don't think this is going to happen in my lifetime, but in the final analysis, things happen when individuals, when individuals take the trouble to involve themselves. What is the use of living a life where you just are concerned with money and your self-improvement if you can't contribute something to the world in a meaningful way so that you can leave a legacy of human compassion? Somebody would remember you and they say, Cobain did some good in his life. And to me, if I die tomorrow, I think the good Lord may <laughs> give me a little niche in paradise. <laughs> But that really doesn't matter one way or the other. But I am emotionally and spiritually hung up on this business of trying to help bring some peace to some people in the world. And it's my little contribution. Now, we're not going to change the world with the Hope Fund, but I think it's organizations or individuals who do this kind of thing may provide a lasting impact. You get these kids' education on a higher level and send them back as an agent to peace. This is where we really do, in many ways, in our humble way, far more effective ways of bringing peace about rather than all these honchos up in Washington, you know, dealing in big items and so forth and so on. I think if I didn't do this, I would not feel good about myself. Fahim, I know that you're Quaker now, but I was wondering what roots you came from. Were you raised Christian? Yes, absolutely. My ancestors were converted to Christianity by St. Paul. We have been Christians for over probably 2,000 years, whatever. 
We were Christians long before Islam showed up. The Christians of the Middle East were there before Islam. Your credentials on the Middle East include the fact that you've written several books on the Middle East with titles like Inside the Arab Mind and Crisis in Lebanon. Unlike many scholars about the Middle East, you're writing with a lot of personal experience, aren't you? Right. Fahim's family was originally from Nazareth, but he's got relations all over. In addition, I kept traveling for many years. I was a consultant on the Middle East for various U.S. governments and so forth, and I wrote books, and I was fairly well known in Washington. But I used to travel to the Middle East almost every year. I would spend about three, four months going all the way from Tunisia all the way to the Gulf states in the Persian Gulf. I had a lot of political training, and then, of course, my background. I also speak Arabic. My library here, I have five to 6,000 books here in my home. And you've read them all? Most of them. And Nancy read the other ones, right? <laughs> in fact, I was able to ensnare Nancy. When she was at Harvard, she read my book on Lebanon, and she was very impressed and so uh, that's how I ensnared her and, and married her. <laughs> she was working at the Library of Congress with a friend of mine, and that's how I first met her. And Nancy, you have your own commitment to this, don't you? I mean, you've got some connection to it through Fahim, but wasn't it your course of study as well? Right. I have my Master's in Middle Eastern Studies from Harvard, and I've been interested in it. It's a fascinating area. But I think also in the whole issue, the refugees, these Palestinian refugees, have really been the demonized, faceless victims of what the Palestinian-Israel conflict has been really about. Because they have these huge families, they're growing in numbers, and you've got a real pressure cooker here. And also, on another side of it, the Palestinian leadership really needs new blood. There's a lot of corruption in it. They need to have new, able people that are educated, rising from down below, which is what we have in this country. They need the same thing. They, they need new, good people coming up. Getting back to the Palestinian-Israel conflict, whenever you have any situation where an ideology conflicts with the ethical mores of a religion, this is a red flag. You've got to think something is the matter. Both the Christian Zionism, the Israeli Zionism, it conflicts with the ethical mores of both Judaism and Christianity, where you're supposed to help and protect the orphans, women, children, foreigners, and it hasn't been done. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Exactly. But it's the same in both religions and also in Islam. You know, the Jews have contributed a great deal in terms of ethical religion and science, the arts, you name it. And they were persecuted in Europe. And it's a shame that the people who were persecuted in Europe and Germany and so forth have turned into persecutors. What the Nazis did to the Jews, Israelis are doing to the Palestinians now. Essentially, the Palestinians have their own Holocaust. I really feel, in many ways, I feel sorry for the Israelis. The Jews, we have Jews writing some of the most ethical writings in the world. 
forget about the traditional Jewish religion. Zionism and Judaism are completely separate from each other. Judaism is a beautiful religion which is essentially Christian and essentially Muslim. They are obsessed with the Zionist ideology of expansion. Israel now is the fifth most powerful military power in the world. You're talking about a strip of land you can spit from one end of the state to the other. And it's all courtesy of the United States. Americans have a responsibility for this because we have encouraged all of this what has been really pushing down at the Palestinians. So I think we in this country as Americans have a responsibility to help the Palestinians. And to help the Israelis. Yes. But in a peaceful way, not in giving them armaments. I really want to have the Israelis be as secure as they come. But security comes from peace rather than from military domination. The Israelis have won every single battle except this last one, but they haven't won the peace. They still are battling the Palestinians. And we did have Jews living in Palestine in the good old days, and Palestinians and Jews lived together very peacefully, no problems. That was a song called Ishmael and Isaac, and it's by Guy Mendelo. You're listening to Spirit in Action. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and we're visiting today with Fahim and Nancy Kubain of the Hope Fund, an effort to connect disadvantaged, hardworking students from Palestinian refugee camps with scholarships in U.S. colleges. 
Fahim Kuban has a Ph.D. in international relations, and his wife, Nancy, has a master's in Middle East studies. In Palestine right now, you can't move from one place to the other without running into several checkpoints. Between Ramallah and Jerusalem, for instance, we used to walk when I was a friend. It takes about 10 minutes by car, 10, 15 minutes by car. It's only about 10 miles. It now takes a Palestinian two and a half hours to get from Jerusalem to Ramallah. There's a very highly regarded college, Bir Zayt, a couple of miles from Ramallah. It takes a student from Ramallah to get to Bir Zayt University almost three hours, and most of the time they can't even make it because the checkpoints turn them back. It really breaks my heart to hear about this or to experience this. I really want to have the Israelis and the Jews be better than that. And they are. They have the ethical and the moral background behind them throughout the centuries. Fahim, I'd appreciate it if you'd talk a bit about your experience with Ramallah Friends School in that area of Palestine back when you were there. I think you said you graduated in 1942. So what was it like at that time, and particularly what was the tenor of relationships between Jews, Christians, and Muslims, and what was it like for you at that time in the Ramallah Friends School? Well, in the French school, by the time I got there in 1936, I got into a bus from Jerusalem to Ramallah at the age of 12, and I was a boarder. My mother had died when I was two years old. But Ramallah, the French school, became my almost like a home. I loved the place. I thrived in it. I read every book in that library. And I have always loved books, maybe because I am physically weak, but books have been my refuge. In addition, the Americans there, they were American teachers. The Kelsies, for instance, were like my own parents. The Kelsies were part of the early developers of the French school. Ramallah at that time was mostly, there were two intermixed towns. Ramallah used to be almost totally Christian. Then on the other side, only a mile away, but connected, was Bire, which was mostly Muslim. Half of the people in Ramallah had already been to the United States or are citizens of the United States. They make their money in the United States, come back to Ramallah, and it showed Ramallah was a Christian, liberal community, and that was partly because of the influence of the French school. But the Muslims and the Christians, when I was at a border, we had maybe about 100, 150 borders, as opposed to the day students. It was all a mixture of Muslims and Christians, and a lot of the Palestinian leadership today, the intellectuals and so forth, writers and so forth, are actually a graduate of the French school. It had a tremendous impact on Palestinian society, as it continues to this day. The French school is now has about 900 students, and they are graduates. They go to some of the best schools on scholarships in the United States and to Harvard. Do you mean that the school has not been closed down, like so many of the schools there have been closed down by the Israeli government? No, they can't touch the French school because 
on purpose. It has not been legally transferred to Palestinian ownership. We have a Quaker meeting in Ramallah, but the Quaker meeting does not own the school. The school is owned legally, technically, by the Indiana Friends Meeting, very closely associated with Erlam College. It's done on purpose to protect the school from foreclosure, not only foreclosure. If it were owned by a Palestinian entity, the Israelis could come and not only close it, but take over the school and convert it to a settlement. Anyway, going back, I loved the school. It was like my home. I stayed there for six years thrived as a young fellow. I am lame. I had polio when I was two months old. It was really, I was engulfed in a lot of love. There was Mildred White, whom I used to follow like a puppy. I loved her. And then the Kelsey's, after I graduated, every time I went to Ramallah, I stayed in their home, which was part of the French school. Thank you, both Fahim and Nancy for doing the work with the Hope Fund. It is such important labor, both in terms of the compassion it shows and the contribution towards peace for that troubled region. People can, of course, find out more about you via your website, thehopefund.org. And on that site, they could find out how to contact you, how to make a contribution of much-needed cash, and they could find out how to help by doing such things as making the initial contact with a college where you could come in and encourage them to offer a Hope Fund-related scholarship for Palestinian students. Or they could learn to be a host family for an incoming student. Are there any other ways that they could be helping out? As you said... We appeal to them to see if they can intervene with some colleges. All we need is an entree, and then we'll do the work after that. But we need every help we can get. We're a very small organization, but we have done a fantastic piece of work with virtually nothing. We're very proud of it, and not only proud of it, but we also feel very good about it. It's a labor of love. And I wouldn't dream of dying without having done this thing, and it was an accident. And thank God for the accident. Thank you, Nancy and Fahim, for the work that you're doing. The love and the hope that you are passing on is just so important. It's so vibrant. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And we appreciate this interview. And finally, I asked Mohammed and Shireen if they had any prayers or wishes to send out to their family and friends back home. I wish that peace come to my land, to my family. I wish them to be secure. I wish them to have better education, happy life, and settle their minds. And I always pray for them, and I hope everything settles down there. First of all, I want to say thank you. Thank you very, very much for the Hope Fund. I know they are not back home. They are here, but this is my chance to thank them. Like, I want them to hear that. This is the most wonderful experience in my life, and I promise them that I'm going to do my best to be the girl that they want from me to be and the girl that I want to be. And I want to thank my parents. I want to thank them a lot because they were the main supporters for me. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom. You are everything to me, and 
I want to say for my brothers and my sister, work hard because if you work hard, you can achieve what you want. And I want to tell them that don't worry, I'm going to help them. I'm going to support them. Also, I want to say to my friends that I miss them all, and I hope they're living a good life right now. I know the situations, they are really hard, but live your life, and everything is going to be okay. You've been listening to a Spirit in Action interview about the Hope Fund. We've been talking with sponsors of the Hope Fund, Fahim and Nancy Kubain, and we've spoken with three of the students who've benefited from the work of this fund, Khaled El Nimr, Mohammed Harun, and Shireen Abu Khiran. You can hear this program again via my website, northernspiritradio.org. And you can find helpful links and information, including a link for thehopefund.org on my website. The theme music for Spirit in Action is I Have No Hands But Yours by Carol Johnson. Thank you for listening. I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. You can email me at helpsmeet at usa.net. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. I have no higher cause for you than this To love and serve your neighbor Enjoy in selflessness To love and serve your neighbor Enjoy in selflessness